Hello, Kryptonauts, and welcome back to another episode of Cryptocurrency Chat. I am your host, Blockchain John, with my co-host, Jake Jabarelli, and Kryptonaut Mike. Today, we have an exclusive interview for you. We have Principal LLC CEO, Deborah Farber. Deborah Farber has been an evangelist of privacy for many, many, many years. We're talking 16 plus years. She's worked in many companies, including AWS, Big ID, Visa, and IBM, just to name a few. Uh, on this particular episode, we got into obviously privacy, a lot of privacy stuff, and the concerns that are going on with crypto and private companies. So take the time, listen to it. This is a very, very good episode. So with that said, enjoy the episode. Deborah, welcome to the Cryptocurrency Chat Podcast. So the first question I'm going to ask you before we get into your introduction is what is your favorite sci-fi movie? Mine, before you answer yours, mine is, I, I like robots. So I like iRobot, Terminator. Those are like my two favorite ones. How about you? Oh, uh, well, you're, I think you're going to like my answer then. Um... Uh, God, what's, uh, of course I'm going blank right now. Um, cause I love sci-fi, but I'm trying to now, my brain is trying to go through every sci-fi movie, movie, uh, but the total recall, that's it. Obviously ah. I couldn't recall the total recall. Okay. I would say, uh, for this conversation, cause it depends, it's all on context and how I'm feeling that day, but total recall is one of the ones I could go back and watch that over and over and over the original for sure. Nice. Um, I it's definitely one of my favorites that I'll watch all the time, but um, there are so many others that were more impactful. But for the sake of this conversation, I'll make that my answer. <laughs> all right. So with that said, Kryptonauts, welcome back to another episode of Cryptocurrency Chat. I am your host, Blockchain John, here with my co-host, Jake Jabarelli, as well as Kryptonaut Mike. Here we have Deborah Farber, Farber CEO of Principal LLC. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank right. you. It's great to be here. All right. So before we get uh, any further into what you're doing now, obviously, we always like to have our first time guest on the podcast to like uh, to go back into what they used to do before they got into their current status, their current position now. So let's go back as far as college before you even got into uh law school because obviously you did wow, you okay. do law school so way back actually let's go let's go to high school what did you do did you drive did you walk well what give, give, paint the picture for me what did you do okay well let's say um for most of my high school uh for the the last three years uh so freshman year i did high school like you know normally you get on a bus and you go to you go to your high school um but i switched schools uh my sophomore year um to a, in the, in the area, it was not considered a better school, but it was to where my father was the high school principal. So I had this very unique, uh, scenario where I was driven to school by the principal. <laughs> um, on the occasions that he was sick, I was, you know, parking his car in his principal's parking spot. So, um, I drove, uh, or was driven for the most part. Hmm. Nice. Nice. And obviously you grew up, you went to college, you did all that good stuff, but let me just yeah. go ahead and do your introduction here. I went ahead and printed out some paperwork. 
I did a little research on you. <laughs> it's a few pages long, huh? <laughs> it's several pages long, but I'm just going to read a small little snippet of it, if you don't mind. So here we go. For the listeners out there, this is going to benefit you a lot. Obviously, this is a podcast. There's a lot of people listening all around the globe that listen to this podcast. Visually, they get to see you for the first time, right? Um, at least on this podcast. So here we go. Uh, Deborah J. Farber is a global privacy thought leader, advisor, consultant, and angel investor with 16 plus years of privacy and security leadership experience in the tech sector, including at Amazon, AWS, uh, as the Rise of Privacy Tech, DID, Privacy Request, and Sibley, among many others. As a consultant, Deborah guides privacy's first tech companies on product market fit, go-to-market strategies, effectively selling to the CPO, DPO, CISO, I don't even know what these acronyms are, uh, CISO and CDO, privacy by design and default strategies, and products marketing messaging. As an angel investor, Deborah invests in disruptive business models ooh, and privacy-first technology. She recently made her first two angel investments in, um, how do you say that, um, bloatout? Is it blue? blot out blot 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 out blot out, blot out those uh, invasive ads. <laughs> blot out. Okay, good. And and we we had this we had JT on the podcast already. And so great. Another one of your investments was in, in the joint joint social media platform. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool to kind of go around yeah, circle so. on that. All right. So with that said, I, there's a lot more um, that I'll get into a little a little further in the episode. Um, so. With that said, um, let's get into actually women's insecurity and privacy, WISP. I've mm. actually never heard of this. This is the first time I've heard yeah. of this. So actually, can you please just go into what that is and how did you come up with that? Because from my understanding, you co-founded this project, right? Yes. Yes. So, uh, gosh, I'm not sure how many years back it is now, maybe about seven years. Um, six other ladies and I, you know, we're, we were in... Uh, privacy practitioners, which is its own separate industry from security. There's overlaps, but different workflows completely and different in within the business where privacy, you're working a lot more at the business process level. Um, security, you're looking more, you know, various levels of, of, of the tech stack. Um, so we decided like, look, we were in Silicon Valley. I was living in San Francisco for eight years before moving to uh, the Pacific Northwest and the Portland area now. Um, and, uh, you know, pretty much it's a town of tech, you know, even if you're a nurse, you're a nurse to tech folks, right? Like it's, mm -hmm. it, and and so uh, we were swept up in, in the excitement of innovation and all of that, but still being perceived as like privacy and security being compliance issues rather than like actual, you know, things you should be baking into your M MVP and, and other products you want to get out there and your entire business model. And so we wanted to really just kind of um, in a very male dominated industry like security, uh, wanted to kind of bring together the women in the space that were thought leaders and or, or just getting into the space, figuring out how do we navigate our career and what are the different career paths in both privacy and data protection and, and security. Uh, and, uh, you know, we brought that together and like our very first, there was such a thirst for it, especially in the Bay Area. Um, we, uh, at our very first event, had 100 women show up and, and we continue to have as much engagement over that time. Uh, it was entirely bootstrapped. We uh, initially needed, you know, to make get some money to to make our business run, um, and uh, you know, kind of put in the idea, hey, why don't we go to DefCon? <laughs> you know, like literally get this bootstrapped by by people in the industry, each giving ten dollars, five dollars, ten dollars. You know, 
we had swag, which which everyone in, in that's uh, all the hackers love. So, you know, we gave out women in security and privacy swag. And in that very first attempt, we raised 10 grand in like that one um, conference, all from individual donations. Uh, and then like the organization really expanded from there. I've I'm no longer in the leadership role there. I've kind of passed pass that on to other leaders who are, you know, continuing to uh, expand WISP, uh, Women in Security and Privacy, WISP, um, uh, to, you know, other places. I know there's like a New York chapter and um, I think there's wow. one in London or, or so Ireland. It's, still, um, it's, it's a growing, continuous thing then, right? It didn't just die out. Oh, yeah. It's a full-on nonprofit. Wow. That's yeah. pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. Nice. Uh, so that was pretty cool too. Yeah, it's it's awesome to be part of that that foundation and just see see the baby grow, right? That's awesome. Hopefully, that's absolutely. What- and for me, and this is a trend that will come back to like why like why Hadera? Why am I doing what I'm doing now? And what what makes gravitates me? You know, it's a trend. I love the ecosystem building as just. But given my expertise for so long, no one wanted to give privacy and security the reins. Like people in the, it's like, oh, you're compliance. After we build things, we'll talk to you. And then, you know, it's like, no, you got to build this into your business process. You got to build this into your strategy. You got to. Um, and so finally, you know, so what I really love is this kind of ecosystem building or getting people together behind, uh, you know, win-win ideas, right? Like, let's build the pie and make everyone more successful, right? Like that's So for me, it was like wonderful blessing to work with other women and um, get more women into the space, right? And get more... Um, uh, perspectives and, and, and into security and privacy and then just like generally like then then within whatever organizations we're working with really make that change I bet internally you, i bet you the energy and the vibes being around uh so many women is just so energetic that just feels you to just do more right i think that that, that would it really be cool does i mean there, it, it yeah. really does and we've had plenty of male allies i mean like don't get me wrong some of our biggest like supporters and cheerleaders were um, the men in our lives and the, the men that we've met along the way, as well as as women and, and um, you know, gender by, uh, I, I include when I say women, I also include trans women, because trans women are women, in my opinion. So like, I don't want anyone to think I don't, I'm not being inclusive. I mean, uh, so I mean, like, literally just want more diversity, more viewpoints, because that's how we're these. If we're we're the torchbearers of privacy and security that are going to be um, in our day jobs, you know, uh, making the product requirements and recommendations. And if we're not building for a diverse set of people, right, we're just going to still keep, you know, building tech that is biased and potentially dangerous. So. So Deborah, you yeah. went to uh, Brooklyn Law School, right? Yeah. And, and that's something that you did the whole thing. You didn't just test it out, right? You did the whole thing. And at the end, yeah. and I graduated. End, I have a JD. Yes. Yeah, you graduated. But at the end, you didn't do anything with it, right? From my understanding. Oh, I would disagree. I have not formally practiced law, but I would say I've done a tremendous amount with my law degree. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. In fact, I think more people who are trained attorneys should go into more um, roles of public policy and compliance and uh, regulatory, you know, I mean, half of the roles I've I've gotten have been because I have a law degree. And in many of those ways, I would be like, it's unfair because people don't need a law degree to do what I'm doing. But at the same time, um, you know, I never, I always feel like I'm in, I'm trying to be put into a box when I have just many passions and interests. And this has been just a lifelong challenge, right? I'm sure many of us feel the same way. Mm. Um, so for me, it was uh, when I, I, I learned about privacy as a, as a, as a, 
concept, like as a the legal framework for it, right? Like the, from my professor Paul Schwartz, who literally wrote the law book along with Daniel Solov, who's at George Washington University. Mm -hmm. um, on privacy law. So I learned from like the guy who was like, you know, bringing the academia uh, together uh, from a legal perspective. And then I go, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. To me, like I thought I wanted to do intellectual property. Um, and then there's a lot of overlap here with, um, not overlap, but you could see how someone might go, oh, okay, thing, intangible things. How, what are your property rights around them? And then kind of, he was my intellectual property professor. I, taught, I learned copyright from him. And then I, you know, I liked him so much as a professor and I liked the, the, what I learned from him and he was fun um, that he, you know, really introduced concepts of privacy, which I'm like, oh, this is like the new intellectual property law. Right. And I'm like, oh, well, no one's in this yet. I could kind of like, you know, make, make my own way. I could, no one, you know, it was almost impossible for someone, you know, to, who's not like number two in their class to like get a law school, um, intellectual property job like it was just everybody wanted to do it right like it's like entertainment law it sounds so intriguing who doesn't um so it's very hard to get those really well-paying jobs and and i'm like privacy law this is the future oh my gosh and um none of the law firms were doing this this is back in 2005 to give mm -hmm. people context right. i'm older than i look <laughs> um so uh back in 2005 you had maybe you know healthcare team at a law firm is going to be working on hipaa Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Or you'd have like the financial services, uh, you know, uh, law firms that supported finance, fintech or financial services at the time. They were um, supporting like Graham Leach, Bliley and, um, uh, you know, Fair Credit Reporting Acts, like attorneys in that vertical would be working on those things. Right. And then then it started to get less verticalized. Right. And you started getting more like, well, as we're doing more automated web to transactions on the web and more engagement and all of that, right? Like it's no longer just like web one world where things are just about viewing things right now you're interacting and it's the rise of ad tech. And so all of that like kind of changed the game for the attorneys. But before that, it was like, there were no law firms focusing on privacy as a thing. And um, I wanted to work on privacy. And so the the company that I cut my teeth on privacy at was the American Express. There were, you know, I was in New York. I, I was living right nearby and um, they basically gave me an opportunity to work on um, online privacy as a manager. And I was all too excited to do the work that other people just thought was annoying. And, you know, to them, it wasn't as an, an interesting. Um, and so I actually reported to somebody who was not even a privacy person. He's kind of pulled over from audit to kind of understand, like, where was American Express using social security numbers across the organization? Like, this is how specific it was. Just social security numbers. Like, where are we using that so we can figure out where we don't really need to use social security number? Um, and it turned out there was just all the places they were using it for the most part. I don't want to say all, but for the most part, it was... Um, they they decided there was no other key they could use. It had to still be SSN. So like I reported to that guy who was like, yeah, I don't know how to help you. So like, like do you need help from me? It's like, no, I got this. And so I'd be going and, and, and our VP lived in, um, uh, in Arizona. So who, who my director reported to. So I was going into VP meetings uh, because there was no associated privacy VP to talk about uh, online privacy stuff. So I was very early on getting to like in the weeds on product requirements. And I like that slowly began my journey. Um, and then the next job I had after that was like an attempt at being a web two healthcare kind of, um, you know, it was Steve Case's uh, um, baby called Revolution Health. And that's that's where I cut my teeth on um, 
you know, the rise of SaaS and uh, web development and, and just, you know, agile, you know, um, building and, and just really going, okay, privacy uh, is all going to be all about product and requirements and I need to get knowledgeable. And then I went and I became a certified scrum product owner because like, this is what we need, like privacy knowledgeable scrum product owners, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I have an interesting career, but um, you, you, I think we need more privacy lawyers going into non-legal. You, you are that unique unicorn for sure. For sure. I, I've looked at, I looked at your history. You've worked just for a little more, uh, I guess, context on your history. American Express, IBM, Visa, Big ID, uh, uh, AWS, and TrustArc. Uh, let's see, the World Economic Forum. How did that, I don't even know how that happened. How did that happen? I'm kind of curious about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, so that was when I was at Visa. I was on their public policy team. Okay. Oh, are we not jumping to that yet? Okay. That's, well, no, that's fine. Uh, yeah. And I see you have Visa, Women's and Security and Privacy. And well, let's see, what is this? Not not so secure. Okay. I never heard of them either. Oh, yeah. That's a while back. They were purchased and yeah. Ah, uh, okay. And let's see, uh, obviously you worked on Amazon Web Services as well. Cool. I mean, you mm-hmm. got so in uh, was this cranium, 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 privacy and security, a global. Yeah, that was the short time that I was doing some consulting work with a Belgian based consulting so company. Even through all of this, you even ha- you even started up your own consultation services, right? After after working for so many companies, you said, I'm done. Let's just I can do this by myself. Right. And, and you went you went head on and you're doing great from from what I from what I'm looking at. A lot of people. Uh, like like what you're doing is it's amazing. Oh, <laughs> thank you. All right. Let's Thanks. See. Yeah, I um I've done consulting. Uh, so I've done a lot of consulting. I'd say half my career. So when I was working at IBM, that was their consulting arm, their government consulting arm. Uh, when I was working at TrustArc, that was on their consulting team. Uh, I was like uh, the number two uh, to to Ray Everett, who was in charge of the consulting team there. Uh, and Ray Everett, I bring him up because he's actually um, one of the first people to ever use the moniker Chief Privacy Officer. So he's, you know, um, and, a, and, a, and a great friend now. Um, and so uh, my, yeah, most of my career has been in consulting. And I can tell you, I even had my own consulting firm called Farber Strategies for about Right. four or five years while I was in San Francisco. So you listed some projects even that were under, that I did through Farber Strategies. Oh, okay. And I can tell you that then I was, I was, it was hard because I'm one person. So you could consult and deliver work, right? But then, you know, I had to do my own, like bring in my own business. I had to go and like find where the needs were. And like, nobody was talking about privacy. I had to explain to them why it was important. Like, look, you're legally obligated to do this and blah, blah, blah. Now things are easier. The market, I, I, can, I said, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to be a consultant for myself again without a team of people because this is a lot of work, um, which I knew, but I thought it would flow a little easier than it did. Now it's different because the market cares about privacy and security. No longer is it about, oh no, like I don't know, the regulators are going to notice if we don't do this or that. Let's not do it this year and see what our competitors do what, is not a viable strategy anymore. What changed to make the consumer really uh focus on their privacy i think it's been a wave of things over the years because we've been screaming you know our privacy experts have been talking about like ad surveillance since it ads came out we're like behavioral ads but what are people consenting is this doesn't seem this doesn't feel right um and and we are we kind of extrapolated and knew what the problems would be it's just we were we were cassandras no one was listening to us right it's like we're telling you what the writing's on the wall this is a bad idea and it was like well don't people 
well, you know, it's great. It makes it free and everyone can have free access to everything. And it's like, all you have to do is be the product, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think some of the changes are um, major fines to big tech. So one of those ex good example is for um, EU uh, had some major fines against Google, uh, which resulted in Google eventually going, you know what, we're going to eliminate third party uh, uh, third party ads, mm -hmm. uh, you know, trying to make it look like it's just the right thing to do. Meanwhile, it's like this has been their entire business model for years and years right. and years, right? So, so now they're trying to re you know change that ship. And as as a as a a problem is that they're trying to figure out a way to still preserve their, um, you know, uh, their their business model. Right. I mean, so how do we how do we um, make it more pr privacy preserving when you're, the entire business model was, you know, um, uh, invasive in many ways. Right. People didn't feel like they really had control over their entire Google experience. If you, you know, you thought you might have opted out over here, but it still had you opted in over there and there. And like it just, you know, people felt surveilled and they didn't understand all of the ad tech world that um, and so I'm not just. I'm not picking on Google, but I think specifically Google eliminate uh, getting rid of their their um, their their use of third party cookies is meaning that anybody who wants to continue to serve ads in the same way needs to figure out a first party strategy or, you know, see what Google comes up with their other advertising industry um, challenges would be, because what's happening is by pulling those third party cookies for use the rest of the uh, society that has been dependent on you know google search and uh you know facebook uh advertising or whatnot yeah i mean we saw what happened with facebook um going out for a few hours right like major impacts to small mom and pop shops and when we talk about like big tech and surveillance you know we want to replace some of the problems but we don't want the rest you know the small businesses to like completely fail as a result so i think that is change so that and then constant media um constant media like the beat of the drum of just anytime there's a breach you know reporting on the breach because it's like look a breach happened i'm gonna report on it but like the breach isn't the story anymore. The fact that there's, you know, Web2 has challenges and therefore in, in the infrastructure that results in like centralized, you know, personal data becoming, you know, major breaches if somebody finds a vulnerability and exploits it, um, you know, it, it, it's 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 important for, the, for people to know, but the individuals don't know how to quantify that risk, right? So like, what do I do? I hear another, oh, great. Now the government just pop, got popped and I'm, I'm surely in there or, you know, what? How, consumers are consistently being told how dangerous the web is, but but nobody's really telling the larger story. And I and I, when I say nobody, I mean the media. And a lot of the reason the media doesn't do that is it, what academia is coming up with or what trends there are is not a story in and of itself. I think the Something biggest, has to happen in order for them to feel is, like it's right. I think the biggest issue is that with when it comes to big tech, they're so big that I can make I can make the comparison. This is how I envision it is that it's like trying to do an upgrade or do a repair on a plane that is in midair in flight. Right? Correct. That's that's the way I see right. it. That's the way I see it. It's the, the plane's already taken right. off. Privacy and security is already taken off. It's out there in the web. That plane is up in the air. Now, how we work on that and how we improve on that is going to be I would say very sensitive. Obviously, there's got to be some adjustments, some changes, some upgrades, because like you're, you kind of hinted there, it, it's going to affect the global economy one way or another, depending on how we how we change things, right? Yeah. Um, 
For sure. And, I, and, and now's not the best time because everyone's coming together. It's not just privacy and security now, right? It's, it's this feeling of a lack of power and a power imbalance. And it's bringing in more, um, we want more transparency, right? We want ethical AI. We want ethical tech. We, we're talking ESG. We're talking, how do we make the world better and people getting everybody, you know, everyday people getting the benefits of the, the tech society we're building as opposed to, you know, a few of the haves and then like a lot of the people who feel just dependent on big tech, right? So, we're, so we're it's using, an exciting time. We're using two words, but they, uh, they, they mean two different things, security and privacy. Okay. Right. Security and privacy. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, people don't really quite understand that there is a, a big difference in that. Can you can you take some time and just explain the differences between security and privacy? Yes. Please. Thank you. Sure. Sure. So so um, I'm going to get a little academic here because I think it helps actually, you know, explain it a little better. So in the security industry, anything that has to do with security uh, maps to one of three um you know, major uh, goals, right? CIA. So either confidentiality, keeping things confidential, um, integrity, and availability. So you want the, you know, with integrity, you want the data to be accurate. You want it to be, you know, avail um, sorry, uh, uh, you want assurances around the data that it's correct and, and in the right data and all that. And then um, availability, right? Uh, it needs to be available. The uptime, the uh, you know, if, if it's highly secure, but you can't get access to the data, it's not usable, right? So, so CIA. Um, and we often talk about security in terms of controls, like what controls are you deploying um, for your security? And we're usually talking about networks or systems. So with security, we want to know are things locked down on a network? Uh, are things right? These are kinds of how we think of them, and we think of networks and systems. Um, with privacy, the idea, it's like, first of all, well, what kind of privacy are we talking about, right? We're talking about transactional privacy where people in crypto are always, that's their whole worldview of the privacy conversation for, unfortunately, is in transaction privacy. So if they address that concept, they all of a sudden don't want to talk about it. It's almost like the rest of privacy doesn't matter to them. But anyway, behavioral privacy, am I going to change my behavior based on how I know I'm being watched or, you know, uh, just just general surveillance or so it, it so the way I describe privacy in my point of view, because there's so many different definitions is the following. I believe privacy is not the same as anonymity. In fact, they're like completely different things. Um, privacy is about being, in my opinion, being known like this is Deborah Farber, right? Mm -hmm. But she gets to decide. I get to decide. Um, what attributes about myself I want to uh, disclose under what circumstances based on that context, right? And so that context is so important. That's why we always talk about purpose and use for information because context matters all the time with privacy. Um, and so there's all these other things you could talk about. Is privacy, like, do you is it your own IP rights, basically, over certain aspects about yourself? Should you have ownership? There's questions about, should you have control? I think, yes, you should have control over your own data. Um, I'm not, uh, you know, there's a lot of conversations around um, academically and philosophically about what privacy should be. But I think for this conversation, that's probably, uh, you know, a good synopsis. I would say that within a business, privacy operates differently because... Based on that context, I'm looking at 
business processes that involve personal data. And so personal data is huge. It's not just identifiers. It's literally any data that's linked to an identity. So metadata, everything, everything, everything about me that a company collects that's tied to mm-hmm. an identifier of Deborah Farber is also considered personal data. So it's a massive amount of data you need to protect. And what does protect mean? Protect means a lot of things. It doesn't, it, it doesn't just mean make the data safe, right? It means making sure you, a company understands what potential privacy outcome uh, problems could result if they don't take certain measures. And so the problem with uh, internally with company, I mean, there's a lot of internal problems, but um, a lot of times the the people who are who are stewards of this data aren't the same aren't security. Um, so people can protect a system without under uh, protecting the right assets in that system, right? I mean, you have to be aligned, and so. Um, that's why we often say privacy and security are opposite sides of the same coin, because you absolutely need security. It's one of the requirements of privacy. You need security to enforce the privacy rules. Um, and so there is no privacy without security. However, you could have a completely secure system without any need for privacy, because it might not have anything, any personal data in there at all. It might just be, I don't know, your IP. (laughs) Here's something that came to mind, Deborah. Um, so I, I live in California, so, uh, there's this thing that came out, was it this year or last year, that just all of a sudden popped up on my screen. It's a new California law that allows um, anyone that's using the internet in California to opt out of, what is it, third-party cookies, right? My question to you is, did you have uh, any Opt out of the sale of your data the sale to of third data, parties. Right. Did you have any the influence collection. or any involvement in that? Oh, did I? Oh, no, no. I did not have any. Um, I know a lot about the California Consumer Protection Act. Um it, it, it has an interesting history that I think it's probably too long of a story to tell right now. Um, but okay, I'll, I'll, at the high level, um, it, it really comes down to like a really rich, like a millionaire, a multimillionaire decided he just wanted a law. Um, and so he teamed up with um, Ashkan Sultani, who is now the newly appointed regulator for, the, for this law. Uh, in California, mm-hmm. um, and uh, some others, they teamed up and they crafted their their own law. Um, California, as you know, has this really weird system uh, for voting where you can put stuff on a ballot and anything that is um, voted in on that ballot cannot be edited or like, I, I, I'm not using the right language right now, but you cannot, um, the the legislature, the California legislature does not have authority to edit that law. Because the the idea is, oh no, the consumers spoke. They not consumers, but the population of California spoke, and they they voted this law in, and so it was called the California Consumer Pro, uh, Protection Act, right? So who's not going to vote for that, right? So um, the challenge was that it was written in a way that was very difficult for business to comply with. Now, I want them to change businesses too, but you want something that's like achievable, right? Like, and there were certain aspects, like, look, there's no way right now with cookies. To understand, like, is a is the sale of my da- data for purposes of um, uh, serving me an ad? Is that a sale? If I'm ser- if I'm served an ad, is that a sale uh, to Google? You know what I mean? There, we don't know. We don't know. So what what happens? So uh, the whole advertising industry is like, or anyone who dealt with ads in any business was like, we don't know how to comply with this. Like, how would I be able to in this millisecond of an ad being served be able to like share with uh, with you, for instance, if you ask, hey, because you now have a right in California to say, I want to know everything that Google collects about me or Amazon collects about me or any company, really. Right. I mean, there's some criteria on uh, criteria uh, on who 
what companies are covered under it. Um, I won't get into that now. You could go look that up. But um, it's a, hell, a whole hell of a lot of companies. And you could go and ask them, and they have to give this information to you. Well, they can't just wake up one day and give it to you. They have to have business processes that find the information, discover it, put it all together, because this was not initial requirements. So the, the law had a lot of flaws, a lot of flaws. I mean, it even had spelling mistakes and redundancies that needed to be, like, it was written in five days. Oh, wow. no. So what happened is, wow. sorry, so it didn't pass. So what happened is, um, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a shitty job. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I'm doing a bad job. Okay. Uh, what happened, because this is so fascinating to me, is that it was almost a threat. Like, this is going to get passed. They got all the signatures. It was going to be on the ballot. And we all going to pass right um because what what consumer is going to vote against having more privacy they don't have uh, no no lay person's going to have enough nuance and understanding of the broader field of privacy and data protection to be able to understand what's missing or what what you know what's the broader picture um and so you know if it couldn't be amended after it was passed we're like that's awful that's bad no business wanted that and so what happened is the california legislature in five days ended up taking a lot of that of that uh, proposed legislation, changing it in some areas, kind of negotiating in this like almost hostage situation, it felt like. And then they go and um, they passed it in five days. And so there, but at least it was amendable, right? We like, we know it has flaws. We know there's problems. We know we're going to have to even update spell it for spelling mistakes. And like, this isn't, you know, certain, certain parts didn't even make sense. So that, at least they were able to update it. And they have since they've even, um, uh, they have since updated it and even made it uh, stronger in some areas. So um, that's the story of the California Consumer Privacy Act, which is, um, but it is a big driver of change. Um, and I, you know, I, I, we have privacy experts have a love-hate relationship with it because the federal government can't, uh, sorry, I should say Congress can't seem to get its act together to make a law for privacy um, right now, federal law uh, that's similar to the to um, to the GDPR in the EU, and the e the EU is the one that's, you know, set the privacy. Uh, floor on the baseline of what you must have in order to have privacy and data protection. But the EU doesn't call it privacy because privacy to them is enshrined in their, uh, you know, human rights. They already consider privacy a human right. We don't have that in our, we have it at the state level in California. We don't have that except as interpreted under some certain like privacy from government situations, right? Um, but we don't have it in the same way for, for non-government um privacy issues and and it as a result it's actually slowing down and causing more friction and more compliance issues with cross-border trade globally because we don't have a um, we are not considered a country that has adequate privacy laws as such we are not considered adequate and that's why it's this compliance mess that most companies have to deal with with um and and there's there's a lot there that i just i'm going to go wow. down a rabbit hole so wow. I, won't, I won't do that wow interesting yeah. uh i want to transition over to Artificial intelligence. I want to pick your oh, brain. Okay. On, I want to pick your brain on that a little bit because I, I was actually over the weekend. I was watching this documentary on artificial intelligence. And correct me if this if this stuff is bizarre because I know sometimes documentaries go a little uh, off the boat, you know. Uh, but it's in regards to the warfare, the, the digital warfare that's going on with with the United States and China when it comes to uh, data mining uh, uh, consumers' information, right? Uh, and what these two nations are doing are basically trying to advance their artificial intelligence to a level that is is so instant that it, it'll it'll recognize instantly 
obviously that's already going on now if you if you post an you, ad, are you talking facial recognition or fa facial recognition is one that's still yeah. it's data scraping right if you walk around walk around uh now here here in silicon valley we have night scope robots that that roam around the city that stuff has artificial wow i've left uh i left like two years ago so a lot's changed <laughs> well, wait I mean, what you, right. you won't see these them robots just like, yeah they're 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 they're, they're, they're called night scopes uh, they're literally uh, robots that roam around. Obviously, they're contracted by 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 certain private properties. Like uh, I know Kaiser mm -hmm. Kaiser Permanente had it for a while. I don't know if they still have it. Haven't been out there for a while. Okay. But it was pretty cool to see this robot. You know this uh, this uh, extra large R two D two look. It almost looks like an R two D two, just an extra large, <laughs> taller version of it, just roaming around the parking lot. And that thing is very affordable when it comes to doing a comparison to manpower. Obviously, robots are a lot more affordable, right? Um, it can obviously track license plate instantly. It can do facial recognition, and it does have the built-in sensors to detect certain types of chemicals, which can be considered like uh, uh, explosives or drugs or you know narcotics stuff like that. Yeah, pretty cool. But obviously, the scary part is that there's data tracking in there, right? There's obviously surveillance around. Same thing with my computer. Right. I'm walking on my cell phone. Cell phone, that's the biggest one. I want you to get into that right there is the cell phone. That's data tracking okay. all the time, regardless if you turn it on or off. If you have it, if you have it yeah. turned off and you're not doing anything. If you have no app on it, you're still being data tracked. The moment you sign up with your cell phone, you're being data tracked all the time, right? You're 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 geotracked all the time. That's ins insane. And there's no there's no such thing as a phone that doesn't data track you at all. It's it's non existent. Yeah. Right. So so, so what's your question? Is the question one of my thoughts? Sure. Go ahead. Yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're right. I mean, that's, that should raise alarm bells. And, and so, okay. If I were working for that company that is making those robots, I would say, you know, this is scary. This is what potentially, this is um, what they call uncanny valley, uh, where it, it, it's, um, that that creepy feeling right like is this going to be a robot overlord like what capabilities does it have that i'm just assuming because i don't know you know is it going to use lasers now to to or you know i don't know to sh or to shock me if i do something like right so people could start putting their own fears onto a thing they don't understand because they don't understand it and and so therefore i mean this is why you okay you absolutely need a threat model for privacy because con as i mentioned context is is important um, the context in which you see this robot, uh, in which you see it doing its things, is going to. Are you going to change your behavior based on that? Is that a good thing? Whose behavior are you going to change? Who, who are the threat actors you're trying to prevent? Who are the innocent bystanders you don't want to accidentally, um, I don't know, uh, surveil? Uh, if you're collecting lots and lots and lots of data, because for so long we were in a big data world, um, I'm hoping that it just kind of slightly changes, that people aren't only just trying to take in as much data as they can just to figure out a use for it later, but in a more pointed and method methodological and um, in, in kind of the ethical reasons uh, that they're using data and purposes. And so this is why so much of privacy and data protection law requires accountability, requires uh attestations that this data was never accessed by anyone. Yeah, this was tracked by the system, but like no one's able to even ever go in there unless first they put in their warrant information from, you know, from law enforcement or, uh, you know, there was a, a legal order or whatever, and you have to highly document that. And hey, you know, what's the, what's the blockchain great for these days? Well, assurances. This is why I'm so excited about DLT because I truly believe it is providing the, uh, the, 
privacy infrastructure of web three. I think we're as we move towards web three, yes, we are putting things on chain and there is still pseudonymous and it's not anonymous, but that's fine. We're doing that today. What we, what it's going to enable is accountability, real time audits, uh, uh, instant compliance or lack of compliance understanding. Um, these are things that boards can understand. These are triggers that boards are going to want to make sure that, that when you're looking under the hood and there's, um, you know, that there's instant compliance there because you can't just hide your lack of compliance anymore. Um, and when I say compliance, I, I, you know, I hate the word. I try to avoid it as much as possible. Uh, it should be strategic, the ethical right things that you do. Um, if we only treat ethical norms as compliance, then it's not strategic. It's just going to be check the box and you're literally doing the least possible. Um, and that's what your company is going to represent. If in the end, right? I mean, we look at Facebook right now, and no matter they truly believe, the Zuckerberg truly seems to believe that he's doing all the right things because he can't see how everyone's reacting, and he just he's like, "But we're doing what you say," and it's like, "No, we're, we've jumped light years ahead of your model. Like, you should half of what your business model is is not working for people anymore, and they're stuck on it." And so, um, you know, there are there are, yeah, there are people who are not necessarily viewing the tea leaves right now in the same way um some people you know it's a little they're in their own bubbles and others i mean like myself i'm in like so many bubbles that i'm able to kind of connect some more dots <laughs> in a non-conspiratorial way yeah data scraping being the new current digital gold right can you agree or disagree with that that statement um, well, what do you mean by data scraping? Data scra basically collect collecting uh, uh, people's data. So when I think of scraping, I think oil. collecting people's data off a public website somewhere that they didn't necessarily consent to, you don't have an individual relationship with them. Like, that's what I think of when you hear scraping. So that's why I want to understand what you mean by it. Because collecting data is collecting data, but scraping to me implies that someone didn't necessarily give consent. Not that they always have to, but, you know. Okay, D data collecting then. Let's go. Let's data okay. I would agree that um, the data is the biggest asset for companies today. Not just because data then turns into information and can get out of that information. Huge. So, yes. One of the biggest things that I've recently discovered um, recently, I'm talking about like uh, just a few weeks ago, is that, um, you know, when, when, when folks uh, within, within the company I work for, um, got their vaccines that stuff is supposed to be confidential right within, right with within the companies that are are um making those injections and it's supposed to say confidential according to hipaa law correct but i mean I, I well I, generally yes but i'm trying to understand the actor here are you talking about like who is the one giving the information because like That's... the hipaa laws only apply to covered entities and business associates of those covered entities so i want to understand okay your... so what, what I've recently Question. discovered is that pretty much all this information is out and readily available to the public. Now, isn't that considered some, some, some type of medical record? That's what I'm trying to make that comparison to. Right, right. Um, so, you know, I have to, I think it's going to be different depending on how each company enabled the vaccines. So, like, are you, if someone, so if a company was like, we're giving you vaccines on site, Anyone who wants them or you're going to have whatever they, you know, and you're, they're collecting it right there. And they're like, who wants to sign up? Like, then you kind of know who has a vaccine and who didn't. Um, well, so so what is, what is the flow here? here here's yeah. the thing. So basically right now in California, I don't know about other states, but in California, there's this big issue going on with 
anybody that's an employee within uh, at least at least in the bay area if you're an employee here in the bay area and you don't have both your vaccines you are pretty much going to burn your bridge with that company you will not be allowed to work for that company because you're not vaccinated uh now the individual doesn't have to technically tell the truth they can just falsify their documents and yes i have my vaccines and never show any proof because that's technically considered confidential. But with a little uh, online search, that stuff is publicly available. Now that's my concern right there is that when it comes to privacy, how is that being kept confidential? I'm kind of confused about that. Yeah, and I could see why you're confused. Um, I think we have to remember that we don't have an absolute right to literally anything. Every right we have is, has, situations that can be superseded by a greater right, which is, you know, public safety, public health, public, uh, I, you know, um, I'm just even thinking like, you know, you, you, there's a major storm and you, your boat ends up getting like, you know, uh, you, you steal someone's boat, uh, so that you could go help save someone else. Like you legally can do that because saving someone else is more important than the property right of the boat. Right. Um, I don't know, maybe it wasn't a great example, but the, the point here is that like for there are situations for public health that I believe um, you can you can make certain things known for uh, you know because it's 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 intended for the safety and so when these things get analyzed and scrutinized under under um, uh, you know in litigation uh, there are tests to determine these things for you know basic scrutiny intermediate scrutiny strict scrutiny those are the three categories and like there's different you know different rights like when is it okay to uh, uh, so so what I would say here is that in this case I well, it may, people may feel upset about this information information being known. Um, there are certain situations where it is totally okay to do in, uh, in communities because it's meant, you know, as a public health and security and safety initiative. And that's, it's more, most important to help as many people be safe uh, as possible is the kind of, is the theory. Love that response. That was great. That was great. Way more than I expected. I mean, that's that's why I have you on. This is great. All right. Yeah, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad it's what you wanted. <laughs> Jake, Mike, uh, you, do you guys have questions before we move on to principled LLC? That's going to be the next topic there. Right. Are we going to talk about Hedera Hashgraph before that? No. Let's let's do a question real quick, if you guys don't mind. Go ahead. And I'll be right back. One of you. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Um, actually, I, I'm actually quite surprised at, at the level of, of knowledgeability that uh, I, I shouldn't be surprised, really. Deborah is very well uh, versed in this. As you say, you pretty much spearheaded the concept of uh, privacy within the industry in general. And that prior to your delving into it, really wasn't a thing. Um, I've well, learned yes, a but there's so many others, too. <laughs> um, I kind of want to lead into Hedera and your own company, your principled company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did have a couple of questions, although you kind of answered them, actually, interestingly enough. Uh, I appreciate your verbosity in that you are not just interested, but thoroughly versed and thoroughly um, comprehensive, it seems almost. I mean, obviously you don't have an answer to every single thing. It's impossible to have an answer to everything. Um, but uh, the thing I was thinking about, I had a couple of questions I I wrote down while you were speaking. Um, what was the major factor? I forgot to think of how this t- ties into crypto, but it certainly does. When you mentioned that um, for for 
crypto privacy is transactional. Um, but uh, what do you well, think that's is the, a major? The conversation has been around transactional yes, privacy. Yes, it should be brought. Um, yeah. Uh, what What do you think is the major factor that led the market to recognize the need for privacy? Just a lack of trust, really. It's been like over a decade of a lack of trust and just slowly feeling like less and less. I mean, I, I honestly think, well, crypto is a huge driver too, right? Well, let's be honest, because um, again, it's a matter of people feel like powerless, right? And, and there's a great book. I have not read it yet, but I've heard, I've seen excerpts and stuff called Privacy is Power. Um, and I, I've heard great things about that book, um, but it's just another aspect of power that people feel powerless uh, with big tech, the same way that people feel powerless against whether it's the banks or, you know, I, I'm not... I'm not a like a Bitcoin maxi or any like th that's not my world, right? I care about the utility more of the and I'm like a geek when it comes to this. But I do believe that the rise of crypto and that that whole belief system helped to um, move forward the narrative of privacy and why we need it and why we should be demanding it and um, is is being heard, right? And you know we're finally being heard on some level, and it's maybe it's death by a thousand cuts, but. Uh, we're making the change. It's happening. It's like, it's a, it's, it's happening and we're seeing it. I mean, I know you guys are seeing it too, right? You have a whole media company around um, this space. So, uh, you know, but I do think that that's part of the, the catalyst is the feeling of lack of power. And if we don't stand up now and like reclaim it, uh, then how, then it's, it's, it's just going to get worse and totalitarian and maybe more globally. Yep, I completely agree. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad yeah. that we're on the same, same page with that. Excellent. I have a, opposing views to a lot of people. So lately I'm like, oh, I don't know if I post that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be picked on by like half a crypto. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you, you, let's move on. We're, we're... Okay, that's fine. I was going to ask about. I, I got a, a quick question on ahead, uh, data and privacy. Deborah, are there any platforms or systems out there you see that allow the users to collect their own data so that they can take it to a marketplace and sell it? Yeah, to collect their own data. I'm seeing platforms that are creating a place that you could upload your anonymized data and buy anonymized data that's been collected by a, an intermediary, actually. Um, so they render it anonymous and then put it on the things like Ocean Protocol. I looked at that. That's interesting. Um, uh, Ocean Protocol is a, a deal it's a web three based, uh, you know, protocol that is allowing you to buy anonymized data sources for purposes of doing analytics. And that's, on um, Hedera, and so I, I'm sorry, that's on Hedera, correct? I don't think so. No, I don't know. I'm not, I don't think it's a Hedera. I think it's, it's its own protocol. It's based in the EU. And since you can't buy it in the U S like, I haven't seen it on the exchanges I'm on at least. Um, that I, I just researched less into it, but I, I'm an advisor and we'll talk about bold to um, eight soon to be nine privacy tech and ethical tech companies. Um, it's kind of my weird business model and it's working for me and I love it. So I don't know, you know, just, I'm just an advisor and I get equity for um, in exchange for my sweat, you know, sweat equity. I give, uh, so I'm not getting anything up front and it's this, it aligns us really well where it's like, if this company wins, then I win and we all win win. Um, so in doing that, one the only company that is a B2C, because I'm a B2B 
woman. Like that's the space I've lived in. That's the value of my relationships that I can help with. Right. I, I'm not like a, a, B2, a B2C person as much. Um, but I, I am an advisor to a company called Rita Personal Data. And what they do, and they are talking with Hedera right now. We're, we're shepherding them over as they're still building. Um, but they are building out, they already have like over 25,000 downloads of their app where you can uh, take control over your data by, they call them like a user agent, right? You say, I don't want this company and send automate it automates your data uh, subject access requests. So when you ask a company in the EU or California or any of these locations that have data protection rights that you can claim and, you know, uh, they legally have to respond to your requests, right? And so there are a bunch of companies like Rita that are like, great, we will be the consumer advocate here and, and kind of custodian. And so make your requests for data deletion through our system. We'll automate that for you. You could, you could, you know, what, and allows you to see and have the transparency of what data is being collected about you, where they can, you know, where they have that transparency, they bring it into the app. Um, and, and so they are coming at it from a consumer perspective. And what they want to do is then uh, make it so that you can compensate users for, uh, you know, uh, engaging with brands in different ways via consent, via, you know, so join social media, which is built on Hedera, has an aspect of that as well. I'm seeing lots and lots of companies doing this um, in different ways. And so the the way you presented, I have not seen where it's a company co uh, collecting it. So like with your own locker, almost of your own personal data that you can then help you sell it uh, either anonymously or not. I haven't seen that. But I'm seeing a play on how do we anonymize data sets or get consent directly from an individual with a brand. And um, I'm going to say you're going to see a rise of so many of those companies. You've got Yamgo on Hedera that's that's working in that space as well. Um, so we're going to see a lot more of that. Like, let's try to uh, bring the consumer into the economics of uh, the data sale of their personal data. Um, the other thing is just anonymized data and you don't, you don't need consent. You don't, it's no longer tied to an individual. There's nobody that can be harmed, right? If it's anonymized. Problem with that is that you can't make tokenization work if it's anonymous. It has to be tied back to something. And so this is why you see things like on Hedera with like Acor uh, and their rights hash uh, service. Um, and they're able to, uh, you know, oh gosh, now I lost my train of thought. Um, what was it? I just said that made me go to Acor. Uh, uh, I just uh, think the world of them. You were talking about the, the uh, you just said it. The, the uh, I know. I was thinking about them. Um, uh, the privacy. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So tokenization. So they have taken, you could tokenize anything, right? As we say, you could tokenize um, consent. You could tokenize, uh, uh, you know, your data, your data, your rights in some way. And so rights hash rights. is uh, Acor's, um, uh, product that allows you to basically like uh, on HCS, not in the HTS, but like tokenize, but store it locally. You're not transferring this token across uh, a value across accounts. This this is, will stay within the um, uh, Acor's you know systems, um, and and no one will ever see the data in Acor's systems outside of their systems. Uh, so, but it allows you to then put an identifier, a hash, right, on the actual hash graph uh, that anyone who's viewing the hash graph has literally no way to tie that back to an individual, right? So it's anonymous to anyone viewing it, but it's technically pseudonymous data that ties back to an individual that ACOR illegally needs to protect.
Now they've thought about this. It's not like he, you know, this is a big effort. If anything, this is simplifying the efforts. And what uh, Jim is doing over there is helping to abstract out the privacy challenges so that it's going to serve as some more like middleware for, uh, for downstream applications to pull from so that this way it's abstracted out and they get the information that they need without actually having to um, look directly at the data. All right. Thank you. Uh, regarding Hedera Hashgraph, obviously you're now a, uh, or have been a, a, a correct, correct me if I'm wrong in regards to your title. It is a, you are a contracted um, advisor to the Hedera Hashgraph um, board. No, 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 no. So I, so I'm an advisor to a lot, a bunch of startups. Um, and the, uh, right now, and, and like, like I said, for cash flow wise, those I take equity, but that is, um, and then with Hedera, I'm a paid consultant. Um, and with them, my role is a privacy strategist, but I'm uh, just to make that clear. I am not working only on products to build privacy into it by design. Um, that's a huge effort that I do generally is privacy by design and privacy engineering and bringing those concepts to, to people, you know, educating uh, on those concepts. But that is not what I'm doing with Hedera. Uh, they already have so much of the right things in place. What I'm doing is I see the privacy play, and I don't see people out there talking enough about how distributed ledgers are, what's going to enable a privacy-protective, more assured, you know, more trusted world. Um, and there's so much around data protection, and it's complicated and thorny and different based on jurisdictions. Um, that I wanted to be able to tell the story. Um, and so I, I wrote a white paper. Uh, it is done. And I'm hoping it comes out tomorrow. It could be early on Monday, maybe Monday. But um, it's basically, uh, it, it, it tells the story of like why DLT is the privacy architecture of Web3. Um, but it's really in, in three parts. It's a crash course on data protection rights globally, removed all the legalese, but still left the parts you need to know. And then there's, uh, then I discuss like uh, the privacy characteristics of Hedera, of HTS, oh, well, of an account of HTS and HCS. And then I give some architectural guidance on, um, you know, uh, for some of the privacy problems, like how do you delete data when it's immutable and you need to by law, you know, uh, things along those lines. Where can I find this at? This white paper? Yes, it has not actually been published yet. It's, um, it's literally, I'm waiting for Christian Hasker to, Give it a final approval, um, so that's literally, Wait. and then have the um, a few minor edits just made, so it literally may come out. To not nice. another person we've oh. had on the podcast in the past. That's great. That's great. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, so, so that's who I've been working with, the marketing team. So I'm okay. doing external um, thought leadership, like conversations like this, and okay. uh, speaking at at conferences, and um, I'm writing a few more uh, but, but where, blog posts you'll see coming next on like this, anonymity. Where can we find this article at, this, this white paper? Where can I go once it's published? Can I go to your Twitter? Oh, it'll be on the Hedera website. The Hedera yeah, website. Yeah, so, okay. you know, I am their privacy strategist. The contractual relationship is just to let you know I'm not a full-time employee. I work 10 hours a week. Um, but I, it feels like more because of the ecosystem building I'm just naturally doing. But... Um, so yeah, it's a part-time role. Uh, I love the team and we'll see, you know, we'll see. I, I don't know where I'm best uh, in the Hedera ecosystem as it's growing. I don't know. You know maybe it's better if I, I do some work at the HBAR Foundation or maybe, you know, there's a, a particular company that um, I can dive deeper on, but I'm like a Hedera fan forever. So. <laughs> nice. I like it. Um, yeah. Are, what was the next question? Um, yeah. 
Oh, was that, that's what it was. Are you, are you, do you code? Are you coding for Hedera? Yeah, that's a great question. No, that's, um, I'm not a developer. Um, I have no interest. Uh, my fiance, but, but you do, have, the developer you do have some of the experience. You do tinker yeah. with code, right? I don't tinker with code. What I do, I, I consider myself a technologist. So, so I'm like, oh, but I'm not a technologist, but I'm not an engineer, but I'm not a, and it's like, I've, I've finally gotten to the point. It's like, I'm freaking technical as a hell. I just don't code. And so I just think that the difference is that um, I call it, I'm, a, I'm not an applied technologist. High five. I, instead, I'm, I'm the a, same way. Same thing. I agree. These guys, they know how to code. Not me. Yeah. I'm the same way. I know how to talk about technical systems and what they're doing because that's the part that fascinates me. The writing of the code is, um, you know, I hear I'm going to like it. It's like, I just don't want to sit down and do it. I don't know. It's not where my passion is. Many passions that I want to make sure that I'm I'm actually following them. <laughs> so in regards to Hedera Hashgraph, how did you get networked into Hedera Hashgraph? How did that ha all happen? Yeah. So, uh, gosh, it's Twitter. Honestly, um, how that happened was uh, I went on a complete rant about Clubhouse uh, when that Clubhouse, the app came out on the scene about how not only did it, they, the team not think about privacy, security, you know, um, perhaps moderation, but accessibility, you know, any of those things. And, and thought they had an MVP they could put out in the world, you know, globally was just a bad decision given the laws and whatever. And then, then I saw what really angered me was when I saw Andreas and Horowitz throw a hundred million dollars at an idea that's not even a full product that can meet regulatory MVP. And then just like ignore all the privacy and security folks on public. Like they're like, oh, come, come to Clubhouse to talk about this. It's like, no, then I have to go on your invasive service to give, to validate that it's okay to have the conversation. So. I got really loud about this. I had, this is like after a year of the pandemic and I, I had crappy things go on for me as well as the rest of everybody else did, including my canceled wedding. Um, oh. Postponed, postponed. Postponed. One okay. week prior, they like locked down the whole country. So, um, so I, you know, I was just kind of like no filter anymore, right? I didn't feel heard in the job I was at. Um, I, I just, I went, I kind of just called out the entire security and privacy profession and even said i think some of the some of you are privacy and security influencer lemmings right so anyway i get really really loud about it and what I didn't expect was not only a pile on of people going thank you thank you right but um was for founders to reach out and go thank you i was uh i've heard the call that we need privacy by design uh method privacy engineering um in order to you know shift left and do all these things and we're building this and we're working on this and we're watching our peers and and people who've come before us as you know our, our heroes go onto these platforms and literally invalidate that message that we need privacy by design privacy engineering um so jt reached out to me from join social media that's how i met jt he reached out and goes we need minds like you working on this thing i had a conversation with him he told me about hedera you know all like excited about that and i'm like I don't know, this this a little lot of excitement here. So let me take a look at it. And I too, I got, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to say drink the Kool-Aid. There's implications there, but I try to find flaws with Hedera and I just can't, I can't. Okay. It's the, it, I honestly, I'm just obsessed with the whole way it's been built, the, the way that the hundred year long-term, the ethical aspect, the leaning in the regulation instead of, lean, you know, leaning away.
I'm like, kind of curious. Did you did you hear about Hedera first and look into Hedera first, or did you already know about mm-hmm. blockchain and Bitcoin and Ethereum prior to hearing about? Uh, Hedera? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, like so when, when I was at Visa, uh huh. Go ahead. What's that? Well, yeah, I was going to ask, when did you first hear about uh, blockchain, Bitcoin, yeah. Ethereum? Well, about f- uh, five years ago when I was at Visa. Okay. Um, so when I was at Visa, I was on their public policy team, which ironically, I did very little privacy that that um, those two years. I, I did a lot more security, cybercrime, uh, it was public policy issues, but privacy wasn't as big as it was kind of like sold to me as, which is fine because I really loved it work on cybercrime. I got to to go to the World Economic Forum and be on one of the working groups, um, you know, for it was security for boards and stuff. It was really, really fun. But um, so the venture partner uh, for for not Hedera, sorry, for uh, for Visa, um, uh, I met with him because I'm like, oh, you know, are there any public policy issues I need to support your team with? Right. Like kind of part of the overall security organization, I think or maybe like closely adjacent to it. But I want to see, is there anything I could be helpful because it's part of my portfolio. And the conversation we had at the time was like, okay, we're looking at it. Blockchain may disintermediate us, you know, like Visa's uh, MasterCard, like what, you know, the, the current brand processors. And so we're watching closely to see how that this, this will shape up. Very early on, you know, the conversation, um, you know, we, it's, it's progress, right? And if, 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 blockchain is going to bring progress like visa can't sit there and like fight against progress it's just not building the pie for everyone and it's not uh it's not a good look right it's just going to instill hatred so they were like no so they joined in a particular i don't remember what it was called but they joined a dlt um board uh i don't remember which one uh specifically so they can you know get inside info on like how's the how's it shaping up like what is the space shaping up to and the feedback i got at the time was um, yeah, you know, it's just too nascent, like maybe a little in the future, but it's just too nascent to like, there's like no public policy issues right now. There's, there wasn't anything for many work for me to do. And so to me, it's like, I just kept hearing about Bitcoin and, and, um, quite frankly, I didn't quite get it and I didn't care enough about it. So I just like, let that sit. Um, I did not start by my very first cryptocurrency I ever bought was, um, was HBAR. <laughs> it's the whole reason I got into like, to, to, um, not investing, uh, speculating. Uh, but that is not the thing I love the most. I love the most the tech and the utility and like all of the problems that I think it can solve, giving it high throughput and just speed and and new markets that can be created feel like in a privacy preserving secure way. My mission now personally is to get people to realize that the infrastructure itself is not enough. You need to use it appropriately. And um, this is where we failed with the Web2 world, right? Privacy and security were not baked in. And I like want to just preach that like privacy by design, privacy engineering up front now, because infrastructure obviously is going to be like the base level of what can be built on top. And um, so, yeah, so the white paper will be, yeah, that'll be out soon. And on Hedera's, you know, you'll see it messaged everywhere where they they put out news, Uh, but it'll be on their website. You're going to be named as as the crypto history books you know your your title is going to be your the privacy queen that's going to be your title right now. The privacy queen. you're going to have that forever you're very kind <laughs> i'm uh, just glad to be part of the ride because it's fulfilling for me i actually feel heard and i i felt in in the past where it's like this is what's going to happen if we don't do this and like it's now like how do we build it right and 
everyone's a collaborator. It's so great. Like I have met so many people just talking about the ethics of building the metaverse now. And I've got just, just all on LinkedIn, right? And we're just finding each other in online spaces of wherever we're at. And um, it, all of a sudden it's like, oh wait, you're already talking to a in Florida who is like, wants to be the next, next like NFT, you know, um, HBAR like uh, expert to, you know, the lawyer to everybody in that space. Like there are people diving into this and are just so excited about it. And there's so much room for like literally everyone. And there's so much to build that it's, it's exciting, which is why I really don't like this whole, like, which crypto's best. And the, you know, mm -hmm. it's, there's no need for that. I just, here's a know, question I want to ask you. Um, I know, well, did you guys have a question? I thought I heard something. Nope. No. Okay. The question for you, Deborah, is you're very confident in the way you speak. Very confident. You're probably one of the most confident uh, guest speakers we've had on the podcast. Uh, no, thanks. Is that something that you naturally have? And not only, there's a second part to that. I also want you to be able to um, speak to the women out there that want to be able to follow your footsteps and do what you do with confidence. How can you speak out to yeah. women out there? We don't have enough women in this field that can actually publicly represent themselves the way you do. Yeah, well, I definitely not speaking on behalf of all women. But uh, I have, I'm very confident about what I know. And I have so much imposter syndrome. Um, it is way easier for me talking to like four panels right here and talk about myself. I mean, you're asking me about myself. I know, what do I know better than myself? Nothing. Um, but privacy and security is like a freaking passion of mine. It's what I've dedicated my career to. And in some ways I've even been like, am I attaching too much of my identity to my work? And then realize that it's not so much privacy and security, it's ethics, it's justice, it's, it's, it's doing the right thing. It's, it's, it's broader than that. And I've just kind of found my uh, way through privacy specifically as like my way in. Um, no, I actually really feel like this is the, this is my sweet spot. This is what I know. If you started, um, if I were on a panel though, at like a giant crypto uh, conference and most people there, I mean, they don't know that I'm a privacy expert. They're just mm -hmm. like, look at everyone crypto, right? And there's certain conversations that people talk about all the time. And it's like, I don't know so much about, like, I know not very, very little about Ethereum's ecosystem because I'm so into Hedera's ecosystem. I had to learn enough to be able to distinguish between the two, mm -hmm. uh, which I can, but then, you know, I don't know anything about side chains and okay. over chains and under chain. I don't know. I'm making stuff up now, but like, uh, there is so much I don't know that I'm afraid at all times that someone's going to ask me a question about, you know, uh, on Twitter, for instance, just like, you know, you don't see the person behind the screen. You're not having a conversation like this. And I don't want someone to like shit on me. Right. Like I uh, and so I have so many insecurities, but uh, I think this is more of a over time. I've I've learned to be able to speak about what I know, but meet people where they're at. And I think that's, that's the difference um, for me, at least is in the past. It'd be like, I want, I want everyone to know about privacy, but like that, maybe that's not what you wanted to know or for your head, or you wanted to know another aspect. Like you just wanted to talk about anonymity, but not at all about like, I don't know, surveillance, like whatever, like um, everyone comes to the privacy conversation with different biases, pre, you know, preexisting notions, um, and so I really like just meeting people where they're at, because when I do that, you're going to ask me and the way you frame your question tells me 
it's a real uh, hint as to how you want it answered or what you think the topic is about. And so that allows me to then instantly know where you're at so that I can um, add to it or give you something that I think you might find more interesting or broader, or maybe I'd get more specific. I get most concerned where I'm like, I don't even know what this audience is expecting. I don't know well, what their the level audience, of understanding is. The audience is. wants to know if you know what the algorithm is behind Shiba Coin and Dogecoin. Go ahead. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> but I have the cutest dog ever. If you want oh, to turn nice. him into a meme coin, I have. <laughs> nice, nice. Principled yeah. LLC, that is your bread and butter, right? How yeah, you- I mean, so so it is, it is the company I run now. And when I say. I needed a contractual vehicle in order to do the business that I do today, which is both working with um, Hadera as a contractor. I literally incorporated it for the purpose of having, uh, you know, being able to throw, throw the uh, flow the contract through. Um, and in thinking about the name, you know, I told you at the very beginning because you asked me. Um, my my father was my high school principal, and. I learned so much about networking and running a business um, from watching him run the school that I was a participant in. Um, and he's, he's passed over 15 years now, but it, it, was, it was so important to me. So naming it principled was, was really, um, you know, has double meaning, right? So take, I want, I want principled stances on ethical tech. Um, but the, what I'm doing with the company is more, uh, you know, to flow the contract through so I can do that work, but also to, uh, for my advisory roles, right? So I'm building, um, I'm not sure how big I want to make this or how many startups I feel like I can work with at once without it being too much. But right now I'm at eight and will soon be nine. Um, and it is been a joy. So, you, are the uh, so you know, what's that? You are the principal, huh? I am. <laughs> I'm a principal with a, uh, you know. I instead of an A at the end, right? Ah, okay, nice. Yeah. So, um, I, I, yeah. I'm kind of curious. Are you are you looking for more clients? Do clients come to you? Are you out there it's a scouting? Because I know I, I, it's very obvious that privacy is your thing. And oh you yeah, want, totally you want thing. everybody to know. You want everybody to know what privacy is all about. Obviously, there's so many different layers of privacy. Um, are you scouting around to try to spread this message? Because you're pretty much you're, you're, you're being a, a, an evangelist in privacy, right? Um, yeah. Are you going to these companies and saying, hey, I, I want to be able to provide services to you? Or are you currently kind of already saturated with Hedera services uh, and, and what you're doing there? Right. Right. It's a great question. And then the, the quick answer is, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out, like, you know, I don't accept things that just come to me. Like, here's a great opportunity. But, you know, uh, there's also so much in the ecosystem that's being built right now that I don't want to you know, have too many things on my plate that I can't accept opportunity, right? Um, and I have enough right now that's keeping me happy and busy. And 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 um, quite honestly, it's been almost like a little bit of a sabbatical, drinking from like multiple fire hoses, trying to learn and understand the tech, but also as it's in motion and things are constantly changing and um, understand the dynamics and the crypto, because uh, I'm in all the communities too, um, like on Reddit and Facebook and, you know, Discord here, right? So and just understanding the different cultures and like the cultural ideologies, I should say, that people bring to the discussions. Um, and so uh, I'm not sure, you know, I'm still kind of got like a mix of a sabbatical in here. I wasn't, didn't want to be working full time for like a good six months, but kind of, kind of am anyway. So 
Um, I, I think what it is, it's like, I'm a collaborator. Uh, so if somebody has a great opportunity and, you know, they reach out, most likely take that call if it makes sense to do so. I've also, so at one of my advisory roles is for the rise of privacy tech, which in and of itself right. is a bunch of, um, it's my, it's my tribe. It's my, um, uh, the, the founder is one of my closest friends, Lourdes Trecha, and all the advisors include my, my uh, my own hero, Michelle Dennity, she was the chief privacy officer of Cisco and McAfee and Sun Microsystems. I mean, she is one of, of of those who've come before me and who I like really modeled my career based on was like Michelle Dennity. Um, she's also an advisor to the rise of tech and we are on constant communication with another, like literally it's my daily, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're who I vent to. These are my, these are my people. Um, and so through that though, uh, I kind of went a little, too much on a love fest there, but okay. <laughs> um, through that, the rise of privacy tech brings together uh, privacy experts like advisors like myself, um, privacy co uh, you know, founders and innovators, and uh, who are trying to, who maybe come from outside the ecosystem, or maybe they like worked on a particular problem, but aren't like embedded into the privacy ecosystem or knowing all the right, you know, people or um, organizations to get involved with or whatever, right? And then the um, the investors, right? So we are built. We that didn't exist anywhere else for privacy. Plenty for security, and even the security VCs. I can tell you because I'm meeting with a lot of them as well. As well, is that they're not the security VCs are like they pick their winners and then they think, oh, this is how they're defining privacy tech. And so the rise of privacy tech is defining privacy tech for the industry. We're about to come out with the white paper for that. Is I think this later this month, maybe November. Um, and that's going to, you know, that's helping. So so one of the things that the Rise of Privacy Tech does is pair uh, advisors to uh, startups. And so that's how I've, I think about half of the startups I'm working with right now came through direct referrals and then conversations I've had through the Rise of Privacy Tech. Um, for others, it's been, uh, you know, hey, tell you about what I, you know, worked out that way. Um, I'm also uh, recently become an advisor for Bar. Um, you know, taskbar IO on Hedera as well. And they're not privacy tech per se. Um, they're building the gig economy, right? Uh, uh, but a decentralized gig economy. Uh, but I'm having a good time um, working on, you know, ethical tech issues uh, also with my DLT and Hedera knowledge, you know, and bringing that to the conversations as well. So I don't really have a good answer for you because I didn't build principled with the plan to scale it. Um, I built it with a way for me to do fun projects right now that make me happy. Because for so long, I felt like I was put in boxes by the job roles I was given. And now this is letting me do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and and adding value without feeling um, confined and restricted and not given a voice or a, a team or the money to actually accomplish the goals that the company So, So principle, is, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a so, it's a solo gig, right? It's just you. There's no one else. Yeah, it's just me. It's and, just me. And the doggy. I'm the only employee. <laughs> and your little doggy too, right? And my little doggy too, uh, Jameson, eleven-month-old beagle ear. <laughs> Gotta have that. Uh, so are you doing anything on blockchain base? Because I know you said you're 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 on Hedera. Any any products you're working on when it comes to blockchain and privacy? Because DLT and blockchain are completely different. I mean, distribute blockchain is a DLT. It's just I say DLT to make it just broader and. But. Well, we're, when you're trying to make a comparison to Hedera. 
trying to make a comparison to Hedera, I will say, instead of um, blockchain, I guess. But when I talk, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? We don't have, it, it's hard because even Hedera will refer to blockchains uh, and them being part of it because that's how the, the world talks about DLT. That's, that's how um, the world so. understands. But is it, is Hedera a blockchain? Uh, no, it's no, not. Exactly. But you, yeah. Yeah. When you get into the technicals of it, right. So the, the, my right. question to you is: Are you are you working with any other project out there when, that is actually pure blockchain based, like Dogecoin? Currently, no. Currently, no. Um, I'm not opposed to it. Um, I, I'm not opposed to it. I, I, I would, you know, for me, privacy is the thing I'm trying to um, to champion. So, um, but it does take a lot of work to better understand a new ecosystem. Um, and so I guess I've just kind of stayed, I've, I've been happy doing this stuff with Hedera. So the people who've reached out to me, um, either I've gotten them, there are three companies I'm working with now that I'm an advisor for that are asking for money from the HBAR foundation, right? Like, so, and I'm helping them navigate that and having conversations with them around that. And so, you know, I, adding another ecosystem in the mix as one person is probably not a great idea. Now I'm not, I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. Um, I just haven't yet, and that—that's why. <laughs> do you know what uh, Monero is? I do. Okay. Uh, conceptually, so, I know that Monero will uh, obfuscate between accounts, right? So yeah, so, obfuscate transaction data between accounts. Okay. Um, what's your opinion on that? Because they, that's the way that works. And uh, I made a transaction here and there to try to see how their blockchain works, and it's quite interesting because literally, when you look at their ledger, it's there's no. There's no connection there. It doesn't. It's non-existent. You can't. Well, correction. Sorry, you can't trace. Uh, according to the public ledger, you, you can't track my address. It's non-existent right. on the ledger. You can see that the transaction, like say for example, I sent a hundred Monero there. You can see that there has been a recent transaction of a hundred that's been sent out to this address to this address, but nobody actually knows where these addresses are or who they go to, who they belong to. They're just random. Yeah. Uh, what yeah, I mean, I think it, it solves that problem, right? I mean, I guess the question for me is like, um, I mean, I, I support that people want to have a cash-like anonymity bearer instrument type of thing. Like if I pay in cash with something, the whole point is to not have that transact uh, recorded somewhere, right? So I get why Monero would be an equivalent to that cash-like experience where you don't have to have your identity tied to it. And I think that that, for the right use cases, makes a lot of sense. I think that's great. Um it doesn't mean that I all of a sudden think all future of money needs to like revert to the kind of the feeling of cash where nothing's ever transacted or recorded, right? Like I, I, and permanently in a tied back to an identity. I am a huge believer in KYC, right? I'm not, uh, but not for, not for all situations, but for most, like I've seen all the cyber crime that happens at Visa without KYC. Did, I see like- I, Have you yeah. received backlash about KYC yet? I haven't been uh, as vocal about that in many places. I think this well, is probably so the most I, vocal. No, you, you did, you did yeah. mention this one, one time, uh, one of your interviews before. I did hear you say, uh, uh, have a discussion about, K you, you briefly mentioned the KYC. And I, yeah. That's a good thing that you brought that up because I, I completely forgot. Um, what's your viewpoint on, 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 on big tech companies doing KYC on obviously customers? It's a good thing in a way, but when you have something like... Um, uh, Facebook that's that's saying hey uh, we want you to provide your 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 telephone your physical address and maybe I guess if you're doing um, uh, some type of uh, um, real, real world transactions because they're coming out with their own uh, crypto coin 
that you can start doing real world transactions. Most likely they're going to ask for your drive license or your birth certificate or your social security, stuff like that. KYC, you need to have that kind of stuff on there. But when you have a company as big as Facebook asking for this type of data, uh, that kind of gets really sketched knowing that they've already had issues in in the past on multiple occasions. Agreed, yeah. Yeah. So first of all, KYC is usually done by a third party for that kind of third, you know, uh, for that very, tr- that trust issue that you're kind of suggesting. I mean, even join social you interview, he's going to, um, you know, ver- have verified accounts as well. I mean, because this is, this helps spread, stop the spread of uh, bots, uh, disinformation bots and, and things like, I mean, there's certain things that I actually think like, they're not done for control. They're done honestly for a safety purpose. Um, and then the question is, how do we tweak those controls so we're not overly censoring or underly protecting? And I don't have all the answers, right? But uh, I don't think it's as binary as KYC is evil and like well, everything. It, so yeah, yeah, exactly. But it, it, it is a two-bladed <laughs> sword for sure, right? It's like you right. you are given this tool. And as a private company or a government, you actually do have the ultimate decision of where you, what you want to do with this type of, um, uh, I guess, service, this product, this KYC that you're collecting from all these yeah. uh, uh, citizens or customers uh, around the globe. That's a, it's a very it's a very touchy subject. It is. It is. And I think and I haven't given this as much thought as I'd like to. I really do want to think about this problem because, um, like I said, like there's so many of these meaty problems. Right. Um I think, I think there's going to be innovation that'll make it. I mean, KYC is a bear to do. I mean, it's just so hard to because you're having humans verify this right now. I, I'm not. I'm not sure if you could do it without having humans verify it I, in an ethical well, actually, way. I don't know. Actually, but there, there is. I, I think there was. Uh, I was reading an article earlier today. I believe it was provide your thumbprint, and uh, the algorithm automatically detects uh, who it belongs to. So I don't know where they're getting this this information from. Uh, is it an India based and they got it from Adahar? Or? I, I have, I, I gotta, I gotta find that article, but it came out today. I gotta look into it. Um, or w- maybe it was facial detection. One, one of the, maybe facial detect. Oh no. What it was, was provide a, 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 a photo of your pupil, your eye, right? Mm-hmm. Your eye. And then they will give you a hundred dollars in, in crypto in their crypto token, which is probably going to be worth like 10 cents at the end of the day. Right. So they're doing that with the promise of what? That you can now use your eye print as, as no, or are they there, giving there, you $100 no, there, there is to reveal no, your they, picture they just, of your they, eye? That's and all use they want. Them. They just want that picture of your eye, and they'll give you $100. In total. Right. They're not telling you they're going to do anything uh, with it, what they're going to do with it. They're not going to say that. Well, that's shady as hell. <laughs> right, right. But that's kind of like one of the, that's what's going on out there right now, right? I know. There's a lot of weird things out there. Give me a thumbprint. Give me, give me your DNA, right? That's, it's crazy. We're living in a crazy, crazy world right now. And artificial intelligence is pretty advanced. That's another thing. I, I wish we got a little deeper into that, but uh, I think we'll see. Yeah. It well, now. I have a lot less to say about AI anyway, because it's not my like exact wheelhouse. There's a lot of overlapping issues and I have a pin, but like, it's okay. If there was one that we went, didn't get into. It's probably the best one. The robots are going to take over. They're going to be yeah. copycats of you. <laughs> you guys, uh, Jake, Mike, do you guys have any other questions before we wrap this up? No, this is pretty great. This is actually quite informative. It was actually the banter between you and De- Deborah. So really very cohesive. I appreciate it a lot. You oh, guys, glad, I'm glad. Uh, it's, it's good to hear uh, De- uh, someone quite so knowledgeable about um, privacy uh, in particular and and 
and even more so just someone who has a deep love of and good perspective on. Yeah. So. Well, I'm just glad that people care about talking about this in the new formation of like for Web3, right? Like that the Web3 protocol makers and the people working on the algorithms and the, you know, all of that, that, that they're folk, that they care about privacy and security, right? And originally it was they cared about security because that wasn't really built into the original web protocols. Um, and then it was much harder to bolt on privacy. But now, you know, I feel like we're moving all together with the same goals. Even even the people who I don't fully uh, agree to and subscribe to their ideologies and tell all the times that we should do certain things, um, we're all moving the same way. We, we're demanding more power back to individuals. We want um, more accountability, more transparency, ethics, uh, you know, all the same things. So I'm just glad that I finally, with my privacy desires, get to be in innovation conversations. I'm not told to go over there with the lawyers or go over there uh you know with with the compliance folks right like this is important stuff it's foundational to what we're building so i'm li literally living my best life these days awesome mike anything excellent nope perfect so with that said deborah thank you for being on the podcast thank you for having me this has been fun this was this was i knew it was going to be this i knew i knew you were going to come in with all this energy it was great, literally. Um, I hope to have you back on the podcast um, sure, let's do it. soon. Okay. So, with that said, Deborah, how can uh, how can the folks out there around the globe that's watching this podcast or listening to the podcast get in contact with you? Sure. Uh, so, if you want to get in contact with me, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm pretty much a privacy guru everywhere, whether it's Twitter, whether it's in Discord. Like, you know, that's kind of been my moniker since. Uh, since, um, well, Gmail came out. So you could also email me at privacyguru at Gmail. So, um, you know, that's, that, that, that's easy. Um, better than AOL, right? It is better than AOL. I was not able to secure that back then. So, uh, okay. No, no, I didn't even try. I was too, <laughs> I didn't even know about privacy for choice. I wanted to be a veterinarian. So here, here you go. So that's kind of, that's kind of interesting before we wrap this up that, that, that you're actually everywhere, but yet you're providing privacy. Like you're, Oh, right. I am not a very private person. If anything, I'm a little bit of an oversharer, right? Right. I right. know. I don't quite get it myself. I, I think I'm a little bit of a voyeur, which is why I have an understanding of um, the things to look out for, right? I love watching people. I love social media. I love engaging with people, but we should all be free to, uh, not free, we should all have be empowered to over our own selves and be able to tell our own stories and not have them told for us, right? And I feel like when people steal, not steal, when they slurp data uh, up about us and make inferences, do, you know, surveil and, um, you know, and are careless with their data, uh, you know, it's the opposite. So, um, I don't know. I, I always think it's funny that I got into this. Uh, my own hero, like I said, identity, she too is, is we're, we, you know, we're two peas in a pod this way. We, we we're oversharers, but like you know, are are the how else do you get out the uh, the privacy uh, right exactly. word without <laughs> exactly once once again another shout out because you, you got cut off there to Michelle Dennity, right? Oh yeah, absolutely, my hero. She'll laugh when she sees that. Well, she'll smile. Perfect. Um, Thank you, but Deborah. it's been a pleasure to be here, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not. Um, there aren't that many Deborah Farbers out there, as opposed to like a John Smith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Until next time. All right, Kryptonauts. All right. Until, thank you, everyone. Until the next time.
remember. Actually, yeah, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Yeah, let's go ahead. Uh, stack sets and huddle. Adios.